At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Hey, I'm John Abernathy. I'm the care pastor here at Wildwood. Uh, My family and I have been at Wildwood for over 18 years, and we love uh, being with you, living life with you. God's Word is life-changing. There's life-changing truth in this passage that we can become new creations in Christ and then become ambassadors for Him. So if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you would like, you can have the YouVersion Bible app and follow along. The slides are on there. Also, there are Bibles in the chairs on little racks below them in front of you if you want to take one of those. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians is part of a letter written from a Jewish Christian named Paul and his son in the faith, Timothy, to the church, to the believers in Christ who are at Corinth, which is in Greece. Uh, Paul had written to them before. He had visited them several times. Uh, The Christians there struggled with a lot of issues, right? Their faith, they struggled with sin, who they listened to, they made bad decisions. Uh, Paul writes this letter uh, to them in response to them personally attacking his character, uh, his apostleship, even the way he communicated. Uh, in this letter, he's going to defend his actions, he's going to defend his purpose, but he also is going to give l- real life-changing applicable truth and say that he has courage and walks by faith and not by sight. Okay? We're going to pick up this letter uh, about one-third of the way through in verse 16 of chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I've divided this passage into four sections, each starting with an R, okay? Regard, reborn, reconciled, and righteous, and represent. I know it's five, but there's four sections. Those are, those are each a half. How about that? We're to regard no one according to the flesh, especially Jesus. Uh, Christians are new creations in Christ. They are reborn. We have been forgiven. Our reconciliation and our righteousness comes from God, and we're to be ambassadors for Christ. First, in verse 16, we see that we shouldn't regard anyone according to outward appearance, especially Christ. It says this, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What is the truest thing that is known or that we can see 
about a person. It's not what we can see. The Apostle Paul and those around him used to categorize and judge people based on what they could see. They did that for Jesus too. It said that they judged him according to the flesh. What does that mean? Saul, before his conversion to Paul, right, was a devoted, zealous Jewish man who looked at the outward keeping of God's law and Jewish custom as he wrongly judged people as to how spiritual they were. Ironically, people in Corinth judged Paul by his stature, by his communication style. People judging others both positively and negatively was a problem even a thousand years before the church in Corinth. During the time of Samuel, when people were giving Big Saul, they were giving him as their king. He was wealthy, he was handsome, he was tall. As you know, it went poorly. So much so that when the time came for a new king, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, you can say it with me, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart, not outward appearance. He was looking for a person that was seeking after him, that was trusting him, that loved him. The apostle Paul, while he was still small Saul, he was still Saul, judged people on their outward actions, and worse, worse, he judged Jesus and regarded him according to the flesh. What did it mean? Maybe he saw Jesus only as a teacher or only as uh, a good moral man, maybe just the executed leader of a first century rebellion, maybe someone, and we might see him this way, that we just talk about when we're at church, when it maybe had a good impact on the world. You still view Jesus, like Paul did, just as in the flesh. You know, before his conversion, Saul did, it impacted his life, right? It led to him persecuting Christians around the world, right? But Jesus spoke powerfully to Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. He was traveling to, you remember, persecute and jail Christians Jesus spoke to him, and the literal scales fell off his eyes, and Saul became Paul, right? And he began to understand Jesus, not in the flesh, but as his Messiah, as his personal Savior, as Lord of all. Because of Paul's salvation, he sees Jesus as who he really is and was, and it changed his life. Paul says in verse 14 and 15, back up in this text, that the love of Christ now controls him. He says that Jesus died and was raised and that he doesn't live for himself, but he lives for Christ. Quite the change. His view of people changed dramatically as well. He may have thought of people as Jew or Gentile, possibly as male or female, maybe judged them by their ethnicity, where they were born, who their family was, whether they were learned or unlearned. Uh, maybe by their outward appearance. But just as Paul knew Jesus, who physically appeared as a man but was God, he changed. Now he didn't regard people as they appear outwardly. Only he saw them now as either being in Christ, a new creation, or still being lost in their sin, right? There's something so much more true about us than our appearance something much more identifying than our families of origin, much more important than our jobs or our education or even the amount of good that we do for others. 
Our identity is whether or not we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, having accepted his payment on the cross for our sin. Look at what verse 17 says. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because of the truth and the hope and forgiveness it gives. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is our second R, that Christians are reborn. They're new creations in Christ. The old is gone, right? We aren't who we were before we accepted God's gift of salvation. The old has passed away. Like a very black or white thing it is. There's not a gray area, but we're used to that, right? I'll give you some examples, right? Black or white, two types of people in the world. Here you go. You beat your ocean, two types of people right? Early to church, late to church. Don't whisper, don't poke each other. They're both, neither one's wrong except the second one, right? (laughs) Um, Next, hey, is that your inbox? Which side is your inbox? What about the toilet paper there? Two types of people, right? Keep going. Extrovert or introvert? Two types of people. Oh, this one was actually for one of my daughter's um, cilantro or not, right? 10% of you hate it. It tastes like soap, right? Two types of people. I love it. Oh, what about this? The final one here. You're a cat person or a dog person? Cat person or dog person, right? Two types of people. It's black or white. Seriously, though, when, when you came to faith in Christ, you were born again. You are 100% forgiven. The old is gone. Amen? Amen. You're in Christ. Spurgeon writes this. He says, there are three stages of the human soul in connection with Christ. The first is without Christ. That's the state of nature. This is all of us from birth without Christ. The next is in Christ. This is the state of grace. This is after our conversion, but while we're still alive here on earth. The third is with Christ. That's the state of glory. That would be what's to come in heaven. Three stages this first stage of life, we are without Christ, right? The Scripture says that people without Christ as their Savior, this is what it says is true of them, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of their sin is death, they are slaves to sin, they are under the wrath of God. Ephesians 2 says they are dead in their trespasses and sins. By nature, they are children of wrath. It's from the text. They are living in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, right? Colossians 1 adds, they are alienated from God, having a hostile mind, engaged in evil deeds, in the domain of the kingdom of darkness, and their future being eternal punishment, Revelation 20. No wonder visitors don't come back when I preach. Um, Joking aside, this is as serious as it gets, right? This is eternal separation from God. The non-believer, the non-Christian is not on life support. They're not barely hanging on until they do enough good deeds. They're not going to gasp and come to spiritual life barely by following commandments or rules. There's no possible way for a spiritually dead person, a person still having sin, still having their trespasses counted against them, to have forgiveness and eternal 
spiritual life with God. There's no way they can be in a relationship with God who is holy and perfect and cannot have sin in his presence. There's a huge problem, right? And it's unsolvable on our own. Now, there's a 100% difference between number one up there and number two, right? Those who accept Christ's gracious payment on the cross for our sin are in Christ. Ephesians 1 and 2 says this of Christians, that they have redemption through Jesus' blood. They have forgiveness of their sin. It says, when you were dead in your trespasses, you were made alive with Christ. Your salvation is a gift of God. You are adopted as a child of God. You are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. God lavished the riches of his grace upon you, not based on anything you did. You were saved by grace, not by works. You have an inheritance waiting for you. It's number three, when you're with Christ after your physical death, it says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That Colossians 1 adds this, uh, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Believers are part of a new kingdom, right? Paul says that the transition from being without Christ to being in Christ is so complete that he says this of himself. You know this, Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let me say that again. This is what Paul said. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He was changed instantly upon his conversion. Remember, the rest of Acts 9 says this. Immediately, Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Has he not come here, meaning Damascus, for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Paul immediately started proclaiming Jesus. You see, it was no longer Paul who lived, it was Christ who lived in him. Christians like like Paul, your old has gone. The selfishness, the separation from God, the guilt, the sinful actions, it's gone. The new has come. You are now an adopted child of the King of Kings with the Holy Spirit in you, with your inheritance waiting. The King sent his son to die in your place. You are alive in Christ because of his grace and his provision. So again, the problem going from one to two, from without Christ to being in Christ and forgiven, is that it's impossible on our own. The people without Christ, all people without Christ, are physically alive from birth, right? From conception, I believe. They are breathing. They have a heartbeat. They have brain waves, right? People are alive, but we're spiritually dead in our sin, the text says. Something has to be done so that, as verse 19 says, God won't count their trespasses against them. Something has to happen. Well, God has done it. Through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, God provided the way for sinful man to be reconciled to a holy God and declared righteous. This is our third R. Reconciliation 
to God. Our reconciliation and our righteousness are both from God. Verse 18, all this is from God, whom through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Hear that word reconcile a lot, right? To reconcile means to reestablish a proper relationship. To reestablish a proper relationship, meaning reconciling the relationship that man has with God that sin has broken. Who did the reconciling? God did the reconciling. Verse 18 says, all of this is from God. Verse 19 says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world. What did he do? He reconciled us to himself, reestablished a broken relationship. How? Uh, For our sake, he put our sin on sinless Jesus, who bore the wrath of God for us. With the result that we are reconciled uh, to God, that our sin isn't counted against us and that we become the righteousness of God. First Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Our reconciliation is because the righteous was killed for the unrighteous. First Peter also says, And he himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. He, Jesus the righteous one, bore our sins so that we might be healed, and he did it because of love. Right? Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves his creation so much that he provides the way of reconciliation to him through the death of his son. Look at verse 21. Skip down to the bottom here. He made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Read that again. It's maybe a little confusing. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, the sinless one, was made, it says, to be sin on our behalf. That term, made to be sin. Um, Constable says, God treated Jesus as if he were a sinner. Uh, When he poured out his wrath on him, he bore the guilt and the penalty for all people's sins. That Jesus became a sin offering, the perfect and final one. Finally, that Jesus became the focus of sin under the judgment of God. Christ was the place in time and space where God judged sin. Why did Jesus bear God's wrath on our behalf? For us, for our sin. But look at the other half of verse 21. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Theological word for what happens twice in this verse is imputed righteousness. Imputed means credited or reckoned to us. Okay, so our sin is imputed or credited to Christ. Okay, God's righteousness, here's a second part, is credited to us. Okay, follow along. John Piper writes this. He says, here we have a double imputation. God imputed our sins to Christ who knew no sin. 
and God imputed his righteousness to us who had no righteousness of our own. Remember, he credited. It's not our righteousness that we get here. It's God's righteousness. And we get it not because our faith is righteous, but because we are in Christ. Faith unites us to Christ, and in Christ we have an alien righteousness. It is God's righteousness in Christ. Why are your eyes glazed over? This is amazing, right? Maybe, maybe okay, Dr. Tom Constable summary. Maybe this will help. He writes this. Jesus Christ was the target of God's punishment of sinners. God having imputed the sin of all humankind to him. Now God makes us the target of his righteousness and imputes that to us. Follow this. The amazing effect from God imputing his righteousness to believers is now that God sees us as he sees his righteous son, namely fully acceptable to him. God sees us as he sees Jesus, his righteous son. We are fully accepted by God because of Christ and his death. Paul understands the credit of righteousness. This imputation is coming only through faith in Christ. His desire, and we see this in Philippians 3, for this righteousness, his personal desire is for this righteousness that comes from Christ. Look at what he says. This is sort of in his life purpose statement here in Philippians 3. He says, he wants to be found in him, that's Christ, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, from doing things, from trying to please God, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. His purpose. Piper calls the imputed righteousness of God the most comforting words in the world that he would say them to you on your deathbed. Okay, Look at what he says he would say to you. He would say this, remember, you're in your deathbed, you're dying. Your Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your righteousness. Your righteousness is in heaven. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't get better when your faith is strong, right? Your righteousness doesn't get worse when your faith is weak. It is perfect. It is Christ. Look away from yourself. Rest in him. Lean on him. Christ is our righteousness. Rest in him. Lastly, we're called to represent our king. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. Look back at verse 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So God not only reconciles ourselves to him through Christ, he then entrusts us to tell others about the reconciliation, right? Here's what it says. Here's this ministry of reconciliation. It says that God gave us the ministry, verse 18. God chooses to give his creation, which is us, this ministry to do. He says that God has entrusted us with this message, verse 18, the gospel, 
right? God gives us something valuable. He entrusts us with it, the message of salvation. Here's an amazing one. God is making an appeal through us, verse 20. God uses us as his plan to reach the world about his son. It says we implore people on behalf of Christ, verse 20. Because we love people, we implore them, we plead, please be reconciled to God. Paul then writes that people with this ministry of reconciliation are ambassadors for Christ, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is a person or a diplomat that is sent to represent their home country or their ruler in another place. Right? He says, you are an ambassador for Christ. You were sent to represent the Lord in another place, earth. Right? You may know that um, I love studying history, so I put on here a one-slide pop quiz. Pretty easy one, too. Well, the first part. Who is this and what is he known for besides the haircut? Right? Who is this and what is he known for? Ben Franklin, got it. What's he known for? Hmm. He's a scientist who was known for his work with electricity. It's his idea to fly the kite. He didn't actually fly the kite. I hate to burst your bubble. Um, there are units of electricity named after him. He was an inventor, um, invented bifocals, right? National treasure. We can see the map, right? He was a printer. He was a writer. He was the first postmaster general. He drafted the Declaration of Independence. He signed the Constitution. But we might say that his most important work was that he was the United States ambassador called a commissioner. He was their ambassador to France. So he was sent from the United States in 1776 in December, right, to take conditions of a treaty from John Adams to France. He represented the United States, yes, well, right? And the treaties with France were signed. There were two treaties, Treaty of Amity and Commerce, right? And Treaty of Alliance. These treaties that he represented us and had signed uh, said that we would support France if Britain and France went to war, okay? Probably not going to be a lot of help to France, but we said, hey, if, if Britain attacks you and they're attacking us right now, uh, we'll support you, Right? Uh, by signing the treaties, France declared and recognized that we were a country. Okay, get that. We were a country. Okay? Uh, what happened next? About a month later, uh, Britain, France got together. They talked. France said, Oh, by the way, we recognize this United States as a country. Britain said, Great, we declare war on you. True story. So Britain declares war on France. Uh, France then is pulled into the Revolutionary War along with Spain. Britain ends up having to fight uh, the Revolutionary War on multiple fronts against multiple countries in multiple locations, and they lose, right? Happy July 4th, right? Um, <laughs> I did have another one of my children who was, in, um, who was in England on July 4th ask where the parade was a couple years ago. <laughs> Not a parade, right? But a large part of the success was due to the ambassador, Franklin, representing and working for the country that sent him, right? After a war, right, the ambassadors of the winning side usually write up the terms of surrender and peace, okay? Here's a painting. It's a painting of the signing of the Treaty of Paris. This is 1783, after the war has ended. Um, 
I didn't Photoshop Ben in. I guess he only has one look, right? Uh, He was there over six years later as our ambassador. He was still there through the whole war. But now he's telling Britain the terms of peace from the United States. Under this Treaty of Paris, Britain now recognized the United States as a free and sovereign country. It established and enlarged greatly our borders. It gave us other rights. Um, Why wasn't the painting finished? You're probably wondering that. Um, Britain wouldn't pose for the painting. So that's where they would have been. I probably wouldn't have either. Um, After returning home in 1785, Franklin was a delegate to the convention. He signed the Constitution. He became what they called the president of Pennsylvania, several terms. He had a college named after him, ships, counties. He's on stamps, the $100 bill, which are called what? Yeah, because I'm culturally relevant, Benjamins. He also did other things that were wrong and hurtful, Um, definitely admitting that. But his best work was as an ambassador. Paul says that he and Timothy were ambassadors for Christ, right? And because of the Great Commission, so are we. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're sent to represent our ruler in another place, earth, right? Knowing that this world is not our home, right? The Scripture says our citizenship is in heaven, we are an ambassador for the Lord, and we're called to represent Him and His interest here on earth. In whose name do we come as ambassadors? We come in the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, not only in His name but with His power. Uh, the ambassador is given their power through the one who sent them, right? Christ said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He has power over all. Then He says to His ambassadors, apart from me, you can do nothing, So we come in the name of the King of kings who has all power, trusting in him. What are the terms of peace that we bring as his ambassadors? It's forgiveness of sin. It's being reconciled to God. And our sending king provides the payment for his own terms of peace. What is our length of service here on earth? It's from your salvation until he calls you home. Earlier in this chapter, chapter 5, Paul says this. He says that we know while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of a good courage, but we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away here, we make it our aim to please Him. Okay? Um, How might we fail at our job as ambassadors, right? We might be conformed to this world we have been sent to, losing our Christ-like uniqueness, losing our saltiness, biblical term, right? We might live as if this were our home, spending our time being comfortable, acquiring things here. We might forget our king. He's given us a guidebook, the Bible, He's given us the Holy Spirit, God living within us. He's given us the means to communicate with Him through prayer, and He hears us, right? Yet sometimes we forget Him. We try and do it on our own. We don't talk to Him. We don't represent Him. Uh, The last point, possibly by not doing our job, by wasting our time here. We only have so many days and months to tell others about Christ. We can't forget our purpose. Remember, as ambassadors, we are called to represent his interest and his purposes, glorifying him, telling others about salvation in Christ. His word tells us what those interests and purposes are. We're to love the Lord 
We're to love one another. We're to love our neighbor. We're to seek first the kingdom of God. We're to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them uh, about Christ, who he is, and baptizing them in Christ. These are commands that are given to us as ambassadors. God chooses to work through us to reach others. He makes his appeal through us. You may think, God can't use me as an ambassador. I'm damaged goods. Damaged goods. You have to remember it says that the old has passed away. New has come. Uh, You're a new creation, right? Paul persecuted Christians to the death. He even chased them to other countries to bring men and women to prison. The Scripture says he ravaged the church. God used Paul mightily, right? He can use you. Do your job. Represent him. I do have a, there's a painting here of a picture of Ben Franklin when he returned home in 1785. Not to read too much into this, but Franklin has come home after being an ambassador. He's come back to his home country. He's greeted with waves and happiness and might even be some pirates waving up top on his ship. Everybody's happy that Ben's home, right? He's home. We are not home yet. We're not home yet. We'll get to go home, and it'll be gain for us. It'll be great gain for us to be with the Lord, right? Our Savior Jesus has readied our place there for us with Him. It's one of many rooms. But until He calls us home, until He calls us home, we've got a business card. We must fulfill our ministry here, right? You are a new creation ambassador for Christ. Your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. You have a great commission from our king. That commission is for people to hear, be reconciled to God. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. Father God, thank you for the forgiveness that is available in Christ for anyone who would believe and place their faith and their trust in his payment on the cross for their sin. Lord, I thank you from the bottom of my heart that the old has gone and the new has come. Lord, help me and help my brothers and sisters in Christ to live that truth. Lord, to not believe the lie that the old is still us. Lord, as we understand all of the things that you have saved us from and all of the things you have saved us to, Lord, we give you glory. Lord, we pray that we would represent you well. Lord, that we would take opportunities to think about our purpose and our mission, and we would trust in you and your power to help us spread the word about your Son and about you and your glory in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.